You asked and we delivered. Hi, LabMates. Welcome to the Social Learning Lab, a podcast about social learning at work. In today's episode, the URID team dishes out some solid, actionable social learning activities that you can implement right away at your place of work. Spoiler alert, intentional spaces for social interaction are the secret sauce to keeping that sense of community alive and kicking. Let's dive in. Welcome everyone to season two of the Social Learning Pod Class. We are really excited to be here with everyone. Uh, we have an amazing season planned out with, you know, less hiccups set in season one. So we're really excited for everyone to be here with us. My name is Rocio. I'm the junior project manager over here, your instructional designer. And basically my job is making sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing when they're supposed to be doing it and that they're not spending a lot of money on it. So that's me. And then side note, which Nicole, you know, probably is going to say if someone to say it, I make sure that Nicole is on track. All the time. That's true. That's true. <laughs> She's one of my main jobs. Um, should add it to my resume at some point. Not that I'm leaving Nicole, just saying. <laughs> um, anyways, really excited to be here with everyone. Hi, everyone. My name is Diego. I am one of the other co-hosts here on the Social Learning Lab. And my job basically is to do a lot of the promotional content for our podcast. So a lot of the videos you see on Instagram, LinkedIn, that's where my work is. And I do a lot of the video editing behind the scenes, making sure the transcript and everything is uploaded, as well as helping with the experiment briefs and everything like that. So super excited for season two. I'm Nicole. I'm the founder and learning strategist here at your instructional designer yes rocio does make sure i stay on time because as you'll learn pretty fast i'm kind of an ideas person and they come up a lot and so um one of the biggest ideas i've had is this social learning agency for learning and development which the folks who are on the pod class with me right now as co-hosts um, have been kind enough to sort of join me in bringing to life and this pod class has been one of our biggest um, I would say team accomplishments thus far, and I'm really excited about it. I'm also really excited about the fact that we are officially bringing in a new co-host this season, but not a new team member, so take it hey, away. Yeah, I'm Katie, so long-time listener, first-time caller, and I'm really excited to be joining in on season two. I'm an instructional designer here, and I get to have the privilege of working with the awesome people um, on this podcast and also the people that Nicole brings in to, you know, think about different ways of designing learning um, that involve social learning. So, uh, yeah, really excited to talk about social learning with you all uh, this season. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We're all very excited that Katie's here. We wanted her to be in season one, but it's okay. We forgive you, Katie. <laughs> we had to apply everything we learned in episode two about social influence to make Katie <laughs> very influenced. <laughs> We're really excited to get this season started. Um, this obviously is the first episode and we are going to talk about something that the audience from our Facebook community requested, and that is social learning activities that can be done at any point that you are designing some kind of learning activity or just as a way to build camaraderie among, um, you know, your employees at the company that you work at, whatever it is that you want to accomplish, there's activities that can be done right now without spending a lot of money um, that are going to create that social learning environment that hopefully everybody that's listening to this podcast is trying to achieve um, 
at some level. So here we go. Let's start with you, Diego. All right. So for my first social learning activity that I came up with, I chose social media communities. For me, I have been a part of my student athletic advisory committee, and one of the main things that I did there was um, rebrand and kind of rebuild our social media. And with that, it was more of building a community within our own student athlete base and kind of giving student athletes their voice. So through it, I did a lot of like, you know, creating graphics and video content that would go out there and promote what we were doing on campus, what student athletes were doing outside of campus and stuff like that. And it really drove that community. Now, moving along to that work that I am now taking into your instructional designer, what I've been doing here, um, I kind of have been taking a charge on managing our Facebook communities, um, both freelance IDs and um, the social learning lab community. And through this, it's a lot about creating content that really engages and drives our um, viewers and our audience to participate and interact with each other. I think social media is one of the biggest platforms for there to be this exchange of ideas that happens around us. And I think with sharing it, people are able to come up with new ideas and create things. For me, as a graphic designer, I am constantly on social media looking at new content and getting new ideas for what I want to do in the future and kind of what kind of new projects I can put into place and stuff like that. So it's really about using that as a way to engage people and really, you know, drive and inspire others to do what they want in their own work of line. <laughs> yeah, I think um, it's so interesting you say that because, well, you know, but uh, Vanessa Alzate will be one of our guests and that'll definitely be a topic that we touch on there. But like, I think of how much I've learned from social media. I've been able to connect with all of you, maybe Diego a little later on social media, but, you know, Katie and um, Rocio, we kind of found each other those channels first and so yeah so much happens there have any of you taken a, a class through social media i'm just curious like a social media community turned into a class because i have and i it's just kind of what it made me think of i've seen the ones on like linkedin where you like can like kind of like do like webinars kind of based off from it but not really so much like a full-on class I've, I've seen like tiktok series right of, ah, yeah of that's a good example things that kind of like one topic and they're like kind of micro learning videos um, but not like in a full class format where the intention of it is like a class in a community i think that would be interesting though um, <laughs> stop throwing ideas in the pot people we are too busy right now <laughs> i took a dance class that was on instagram once that was kind of interesting oh, that's cool and I think that's the thing. It's like there's so many different platforms with just so many like different content. Because I feel like if you go to like TikTok, it's very how-to how videos and stuff like that. And because of the algorithm, because of how much technology has advanced, I think that's why people are getting the content and learning so much more because you're given ideas and knowledge that you're looking for. So like for, let's say me, mine is going to be more sports related where most of your works are probably going to be looking for, you know, stuff involving instructional design and stuff like that because that's where you're expertise are and that's where you're probably looking for content and so with that algorithm they're really targeting what you want to see and that's why i think our knowledge in those fields is growing so much faster and more because we're exposed to it on a daily basis now where before it's like we were only seeing it every you know when we looked it up and now it's like it's just thrown at us i think i was in an advertising class and they talked about we see 
before it was like we would see like three thousand advertisements in a day, and now we're seeing almost a million advertisements within a single single day. So it's like one of those big growths is that you're seeing this constant just content every day that's making you learn more, even if you're not really learning. It's subconsciously you're taking it in and learning something from it. That's a crazy statistic. I can't believe we see that. But then it makes sense because like if I am scrolling like Instagram, for example, um, I've literally counted and sometimes it's every second or third post is an ad, whether it's actually a, an ad ad, right? Like they paid money to put this out or it's like influencer yeah. product placement. And, and a lot of the ads are looking like, you know, they don't look like ads. It's like you start reading it and you're like, oh, wait, this is an ad. And you just like interacted with it, too. So now it's like generating even more. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to reel, reel us back because I know that like I just took us down the rabbit hole. Yeah, we're going to get really far away from the social learning activities. But like, I don't know. I, I think it's just so interesting that that was the first one you thought of. And then we all instantly were like, yeah, we learned we learned something there, you know. I'll go. I have one. I think, and this one comes from um, my dad. He is a master plumber. He has his own like plumbing company. And when the techs come in and they do turn in, he does this like classes where like the techs, if he observes something that he thinks that was done the right way or was done better than what he had taught uh, previously, then he has the techs come in and like kind of show the rest of the plumbers how to do it. Um, and I think that's a great way of social learning, like having people, um, your own employees come in and teach like techniques or things, the way that they do things to employees. I think that's a way of social learning that um, gives a little bit of power to those employees that usually don't feel like they have power within the organization. And I like this one because this one works across works environment. It's not just like an office environment, but this is also like, you know, blue collar, like at a construction site, or if you're a plumber or an electrician, I think it's pretty cool to have your employees feel. I think it creates a sense of value within them that the way that they do things, their expertise, how they figure things out is valued within the company. And I think that goes a long way um, with employees and how they feel about the company culture and that sense of belonging. It's interesting because there's so many layers there, right? So not only is there this like collective knowledge mm -hmm. sharing, right? Your dad recognizes something being done well. So he's learning from someone mm -hmm. else even potentially maybe. Then he's bringing it in so everyone can see. So there's this big knowledge sharing moment. But it's also interesting in terms of like modeling and recognition because he's not only making them feel good, but he is recognizing a behavior that he wants other people to imitate. And so like there's so many great layers to that small seemingly small activity, right? Which goes back to our social, how people get influenced, right? We have this, uh, he's kind of saying, this is the way that I want you to do it from now on, but not really imposing himself as this is the way. I'm just going to show you something better and like you choose if this is the way that you want to go or not. But I feel like if someone that's the boss is saying like, I like the way this guy did it, that's just the way of socially influence everybody to be like, oh, then we should be doing it that way without having like an imposing, um, you know, demeanor. So, yeah. That's a really good one. I like that one. I like both of them. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. We got a lot of good stuff. <laughs> How about you, Katie? 
Yeah, I wanted to talk about book clubs. We have one here now, which I'm very excited about. And, you know, I love to read. And I think reading, obviously, you do that often alone. But this is such a great way to read something related to your work and then have a chance to reflect on it with colleagues and hear their ideas. And it just really reinforces what I read. Um, so like we talked about the art of gathering and we just read influence. So I just really have enjoyed that. And I'm looking forward to our next selection um, in the new year. So uh, yeah, I think coming up with like discussion guides could be a way like just thinking of extending this beyond if it were more structured. Um, and also you could just leave it up to where the conversation takes you, which is what I love about it. It's so flexible. Yeah, there are so many layers to book clubs. It's not just like a social, like we're getting together to read, but if you're doing it like at a company or like an organization, and even if the reading is based on, you know, informative texts for something that you want your people to learn, whatever it is, there's so many things that you could do with that aside from reading, but like just it's a way to gather, right? Mm -hmm. And get your employees to be social with each other, not just in a work setting. You could also, if you use any kind of platform like Slack, they could be a channel where employees can like talk about what they're reading, kind of have those discussions. If anyone has questions, um, they can go in and ask. If anybody has like favorite moments from the books or quotes, they can go in and post that. So there's so many things that you could do with a book club that's just not reading. And again, social learning is not just learning in a formal setting. There's that sense of camaraderie, right? I love that word, among employees and creating that environment where people feel safe to share their ideas, um, where they feel that, you know, what they have to say is valued and that people are learning from them. Um, so, yeah, that's a good one. Like and the accountability was big for me too, because I have like piles of books. It's, you know, they all call to me, but yet then I don't read. So I felt like having the deadline and, and knowing I was going to be talking about a certain number of chapters um, really motivated me and yeah, just kind of made it more enjoyable. It was in my calendar. you know. Um, so there was that piece too. And it doesn't have to be necessarily like a whole book, right? Like it could be a chapter that you want to highlight to your employees. It could be an article. Um, you know, if you're like, if you work like at a clinic um, and you want someone to read new information that is out, that's just another way to make it more social where it's not just sitting around and reading an article and then everybody's like, oh, I have to read this. It's kind of, you know, everybody's reading it and everybody's going to give their opinions and you feel a little bit more motivated to do it because you know that you're going to get to share with other people. It's not isolating, I guess, which can be boring sometimes. No, I think you bring up a good point about like making that learning experience an enjoyable one. I think a lot of times when you're put in a setting where you're there to learn, it is very hard to stay engaged, especially like when we've talked about like lectures or like in being in like, you know, meetings and stuff like that. It's very hard to stay engaged. But I think if providing that content that we're working together and we're learning, I think with a book club setting, you know, each person grabs something different from that, that they bring to each other. And then you're learning together in this new atmosphere of like, oh, well, I found this on page da-da-da, but I found this on page. And so you bring it together and you're like, oh, wow, I never would have seen that had you not brought it up. I think that's when learning really is enhanced and it grows and it expands your knowledge so much more that we don't really realize it until, you know, it's in that setting. So I think making learning fun is where a lot of the, where a lot of training should be put into place as well as like how that book club setting is. It's an experience that you get to enjoy with, you know, your own colleagues and make it a fun one out of it. That's 
Definitely. True. I mean, I, I've been thinking, like, I want, what you said before is true, Kay. Like, I wanted to stay engaged. I actually gave myself a goal this year to read 24 books. And by the time we started our book club, I was, like, falling off the wagon. I was like, oh, I can't. But we got through the, the art of gathering, and now I'm up to, like, 27 books. And granted, not all of those are business books. And it's been nice to, like, read nonfiction with other people because it can get a little, like, all right, I got stuff to do. Yeah, like the accountability, the experience of reading it with all of you. And then our conversations didn't always stick to the book. Maybe in every workplace that doesn't fly. But for us, I think it was just really nice to get to know one another. We never really get to see each other in person. You know, I've seen Rocio and Diego all of one time. And so it's, it is great to have like opportunities to bond, forget the book, you know? Yeah. And, and there's just sometimes that you're reading something and you're like, man, I wish I had someone to talk about this, right? Like you have this like, amazing discovery or epiphany or like, you have this like strong feelings about something um, and you don't get, like at least us, we don't go to go the next day into the office and talk to someone about it, you know, like because mm -hmm. it's all digital and, you know, work from home the whole time. So I think that having those moments set aside for that has been a great way to like interact with each other, so... And for me, it's been really cool to see like what spins off from that. So, you know, Katie, when we read The Art of Gathering, uh, you built like this whole template of ways we could use the tools that we learned in the book and apply it to the business. And you wrote this great blog. And so I thought that was amazing. And then hearing everybody's stories and like getting perspectives on the text that you wouldn't have otherwise had, not even just like what's in the book, but like what you bring to the book has been just really cool. So I'm glad we're going to continue that as well into 2024. I was going to say 2022, but. <laughs> <laughs> 2022. Yeah, same. I love the anecdotes, like from hearing other people's examples based on what they read. Um, that really brought it to life for me. And yeah, the activities like that you mentioned, I, you had the idea of turning it into making, creating a worksheet, which made me revisit the book. And then I was able to share that. And then, and, you know, it's some of the tool that we can use again and again. So, um, yeah, all these pieces. It's just, it's one meeting and then all these other things come from it. Your turn, Nicole. My turn. <laughs> okay. Well, I put two down and now I'm like, well, maybe I just throw a Hail Mary and talk about something. Else. <laughs> I'm going to stick to what I said. So I think um, like connection making activities are what I'd like to talk about because to me, they're a bit of a lost art. And so there's nothing more amazing to me when you walk into like a virtual instructor-led training or an in-person event for the first time and they started off by somehow making everybody feel like they they know each other in the room or they've got someone they can go to and like yeah there's this term icebreakers that we all know and that's really that's what what these connection um, making activities fall under but to me icebreaker at a surface level is just like let's make everybody talk so the room's not so quiet whereas like the people who do it really well actually invite you to carry on that conversation and make genuine connection and so some of the ones that I think of just that I've experienced I went to the CMX like virtual conference replay so it wasn't even the live version and David Sphinx did this awesome talk on serendipity and so he's a, you know like a community researcher and he's been researching how we create those moments of serendipity like oh my gosh you know I which is a true story. I met my husband at a house party when we were 15 and then his friends, you know, later set us up on a, like a, a blind date. Like 
so it was serendipity of meeting him that then led to like this whole future together and we wound up in california at the same time even though we both lived in new jersey anyway it's getting off track but my point is he was trying to create those moments of serendipity where it's like wow i can't believe i met this person and the conversation continues and it evolves into something amazing and he was able to do that um just by asking people to ask a series of questions and find the connection so like somebody had actually met at a conference 20 years earlier but didn't remember it till that moment so like that was one of the cool ones um, and i've also seen it just happens to be the david day i guess david linder um at the social learning conference led by the learning guilds at a really interesting one where he would have virtual backgrounds and on the virtual backgrounds there were like cartoon anime style cats and each of the cats had its own personality. <laughs> so basically he told people to pick the cat that matched their personality and use it as their virtual background. So he invited everyone to come on um, without telling you, you have to turn on your video, but everybody wanted to show off their cats. So they turned on their video and then they start to go, oh, you're this cat too. You're like, I forgot what they were, but I'll just say, you're like grumpy cat, I'm grumpy cat. And then, you know, so they would start to have these like side conversations as soon as video turned on. And so moments like that, it is an art and not a science, or a little bit of both, I guess, but it's, it's challenging and I'm always looking for great examples of how to make connections from the get-go. I don't know, have you ever seen any really like amazing, I'll, I'll use the term icebreaker, or I like to call them connection makers. <laughs> That's a very put on the spot situation, Nicole. Yeah, so, I, I mean, you might not, uh... like, because I feel like I hadn't experienced any really good ones until like just a few years ago. So maybe the answer is no, but if you have, then you can think of one. Um... Definitely would love to hear it. I think like I have, but I also think that there's a lot of icebreakers where people are like, oh, an icebreaker, this is just, and it's just an icebreaker for an icebreaker because that's the way that you start things. So I've definitely been in a lot of those situations. I do think that they're very powerful, especially um, in settings like conferences. I think they can potentially set the pace or not the pace, but like the mood for, for the whole session, right? Like that icebreaker yeah. can be very powerful about how people feel for the rest of the session um so i think it needs a, a lot of the time it needs a little bit more thought than just a game that we play as an icebreaker to introduce each other because i don't think the point is really introducing each other it's about feeling comfortable with each other in that session and the more the more intimate we can create the environment the more willing people are going to be able to participate and share their thoughts with the rest of the audience, I would say. I definitely agree with you, Rocio. And actually, that actually is my second thing was conferences mm -hmm. because I just got back from one for Slack. And so kind of how we started our conference was we had a dinner with like the whole like group, but they basically just put the name tags all over the place and you kind of just found your name and you just sat with a, amongst the people within the conference that you don't even know. I mean, we're talking about like, people who go to school like three hours away from me, five hours away from me, but you're all there for the same reason. So you kind of like almost forced to talk, but at the same time you're having dinner. And so it's like that kind of like thing where you're just like, oh, we're just gonna have dinner conversation and just start talking. And it really opened the floor for people to just start getting to know each other because you're like, oh, well, we're gonna be here for the next three days. So I know one thing that my coaches always, my coaches back home always told me, we're like, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's how you basically get to it 
expand yourself and allow yourself to really grow and learn. Because when you're in, put in those uncomfortable situations, it is very hard to make that progress and really gravitate all the knowledge that you can because you don't want to make mistakes or you don't want to be seen a certain way. But that's when you're really showing your true self to people. And I think that's when people start you know, making those connections. And when you make those connections, that's when your growth and your knowledge expands. And I think you really get to learn from others. So that's kind of how like I feel like conferences in a way are such great social learning activities because they do put you in those uncomfortable situations for a day, two, three days, and you're sitting there talking to people, but you get just comfortable being there with them because you're seeing them every day. You're sitting around having those social interactions of, you know, eating dinner together, being on lunch breaks together and stuff like that. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize is, yes, at first it's hard, but it's the way you are able to really get as much as you can out of that session or out of that conference that you want to gain out of it. And and now we have digital conferences, right? Because a lot of these things are shifting. So it's a little harder to get those connections. So I think those, you're not necessarily, I mean, we still have the physical ones, thankfully. <laughs> I love those, but there's a lot of really good digital ones. And it's hard to get people to connect on that level when everybody's sitting behind, you know, a desktop or a laptop. So I think those moments of like icebreakers and social interactions are important to build those connections because that's the whole point sometimes of conferences, right? Like you're meeting your peers, you're building those connections, you're networking. Like how do you transfer that from a physical one where people are meeting face-to-face to to a digital one? Um, So, you know, one of those ways is what Nicole was saying also, those icebreakers that you are doing um, and those like intentional spaces for people to interact with each other in a social way not necessarily learning from each other just being social with each other and created that again like that word intimacy among the people attending the conference if you're in a digital setting i think that's one of the biggest challenges that people face in those digital conferences how do we keep people connected no i definitely agree i think especially in the digital setting it's so hard to get people to interact i mean I'm being a leader on, you know, like I said, on our conference and stuff. When we have the online meetings, it's so hard on Zoom. We'll put people in breakout rooms. We'll try to see if they'll interact and you get like no response. They're just like blank spaces on a screen. Like they're just like looking at you, like not wanting to participate. But I think that's where the need for in-person events is so important is because it forces you to have to talk it forces you to have to have those interactions and if you don't then you're really not helping yourself because you're not gaining anything out of it so i think you know as much as we want to move into this digital world i still think that having those in-person kind of events is so crucial in this world especially with people being so isolated already i think you know we have to be able to put them in those settings where they're able to really talk to each other and interact and like you said create that intimacy within each other because that's where I think, like you said, you network and that network you expand. That's how I feel about being here now with the network that we've been given with this platform and you know, bringing in our guests where there's so much more network that I've grown in my own field of you know, just our guests, that that's kind of where you see it. But you know, it's because we're having those conversations and then I think conversation is the way to yeah, go with and it. So. I would say like purpose, purpose, the purpose of the social learning activity, like what is the purpose? And if you go back to purpose and you figure out what that purpose is, 
um, then it's just not an activity for an activity, right? Like it's not an icebreaker for an icebreaker. Like what's the purpose of your icebreaker? Are you trying to figure something out from the audience? Are you trying to get information from the audience? Are you having the audience introduce each other? Are you trying to see where the audience stands on a topic, right? Like if you don't have that purpose and you're just doing an icebreaker to do an icebreaker, then, you know, you're not going to get what you want to get out of that session. Which I think we have discussed purpose. Was that part of a book that we... I think it was part of a book. The Art of Gathering. The Art of Gathering. There you go. See, everything's like on a loop. Um, you know. Jumped in. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. When you were saying about kind of... I'm, I'm remembering being in many Zoom rooms and breakout rooms where it's like difficult to think of what to say. And so I'm an introvert. And I feel like both when I've been sort of on the participant side or on the facilitator side, both, I've really appreciated the think, pair, share, um, where you give people a little time, you give them the question, right? They reflect and write a little bit. They share with maybe one person and then that's gotten it going and you feel comfortable perhaps sharing with the whole group. So um, yeah, just adding that. And, and as a facilitator, you have to be comfortable with silence because that's going to happen. Like it's not something that, you know, you can, and it doesn't mean that people don't want to share sometimes. It just means that people are thinking because sometimes the questions that you might ask you know, one, you might be putting people on the spot like they weren't expecting the question or two, like it's a big topic. And then like people have to gather, you know, their thoughts. And that's a little awkward in the digital word, world, right? Yeah. Yes. When you're asking a question and everybody's silent, but it's, you know, you don't see the things working. Some people don't have their videos on. So it's just like, you don't know what's going on. So, yeah. Every time I do a digital conference and I say, I'm always like, I think it was terrible. I think it went horrible. And then I get the feedback and it's like, that was really, someone was even like, that was the best, you know, session I went to. But you can never tell really because, you know, people, yeah, people come and go. People don't have their cameras on. People are participating, but it's never like the full room. And so virtual space is is definitely interesting. Uh, But I think the real crux is what you said or say, right? Like purpose. So when you're designing it, you have to have purpose and like being intentional Mm -hmm. is really important if you're going to do it in digital space, because in face-to-face, like things happen by accident, you know, people bump into each other in the hallway. Not that conferences aren't meticulously designed and all logistics are, you know, a whole big thing, but like I can bump into Robin in the hallway, you know, my buddy from Idle Courses, and we can have a conversation in that, but nobody can really just bump into each other in a virtual space. I mean, I guess if you have like a gathered town or something like that, but it still doesn't have that same like serendipity, mm-hmm. right? And so how are you intentionally creating the things that you love about in-person conferences digitally? And I think the other question we can ask ourselves is how can we do things digitally that you can't do mm-hmm. face? Like what and so obviously there's the fact that we can all be here having a podcast at the same time and none of us live in the same place or same area. But that's kind of the challenge I like to think about when we're designing stuff here what can we do that's even better when you do it virtually than it could have been in person? I'm going to reel us back into (laughs) social learning activities. That was a good one. That was a good conversation, Nicole, out of the little bit of that icebreaker suggestion. And I think Diego talked about conferences too. So there was like two in one. Uh, I think for me, another one would be this idea, like let's say you're a smaller company or you don't have, you know, platforms you don't have the budget to do anything big with social learning Um, maybe it's like two people well 
three, four, five, however big it is. But sometimes it's just a matter of like sharing thoughts. So something that I thought about was like, you know, I think LinkedIn does this where they have articles and people come in and they share the articles built by the information that different people provide. So like having like a document um, in within the company where like the employees come in and, you know, let's say you give them a topic and everybody shares like their knowledge on their topic or their research on that topic. Um, I think that's a way to also, you know, share knowledge, which is part of social learning. There's different layers to social learning. So there's like the social, hey, networking, and then there's the learning part. And I think that a way to promote that learning part within a company would be like a shared document. It could be like in Google Drive. You don't need a lot of technology. It could just be like in um, office, whatever it is, and people are coming in and sharing their thoughts or their knowledge or Maybe there is a new employee coming in and you want people to share like uh, how something works or like what is the best way to approach something or what is the best way to talk to a difficult client or whatever it is, like what is the best way to deal with the situation or things not to do on your first day or, you know, things like that. And that could be like a welcoming thing. And I think people coming into uh, would appreciate that. And then like all the employees come in and they, you know, give their thoughts on the topic pretty easy you know it's not gonna break the budget definitely i think yeah that's one thing i know when i came into this agency and like working for you guys it was in the workplace we have this shared what you know or share what you learned in that and i think that's kind of like kind of what you're saying rosie those shared documents of like people can like comment and it kind of the way we have it set up is like almost like a facebook community group that it's like you know, you can comment and you can tag people and you can have a create a conversation based off what other people are learning and stuff like that. And I think that's one thing that I really have appreciated is because there was a lot of content in there that, you know, Katie had posted or that Nicole had posted or Rosie had posted that provided me with some answers that I didn't know where to find and stuff like that. And through those articles, I was able to like gain knowledge that I probably wouldn't have been able to find on my own. And so I think, like you said, building those communities within the workplace and having like, that shared document really does drive you know engagement like learning atmosphere it's interesting too because well there's two things so we do have wiki pages right mm -hmm. but I, I like what you said which is like we have a fancy tool to do it but you don't need mm -hmm. it you can have a google doc and everybody talks you can have a microsoft 365 document and everybody can use it you can go grab something like padlet or a Jamboard and like just get everybody on the same page but like i guess what you were saying diego was more of like the posting and that's an interesting aspect too because I found companies do that but not everybody has the same results we have and what I love about what we tend to do when we post is that we don't just put something up that happens a lot but everyone's like this is what I found interesting what do you think and they kind of point you somewhere or you know they send you the highlight reel or um, they give you the active prompt and I think that's part of designing good social learning too is not just like throwing things at people and being like take out of it what you will but like giving them a little structured guidance to help them get involved in the conversation underneath the purpose for which you'd like it to serve yeah i i guess what i'm trying to highlight is that if you have the budget then go ahead and build a social learning network recommend it a hundred percent but if you don't there's other ways like you just can't use money or technology 
as a scapegoat, like I'm not going to do anything. There is ways to do it. There's ways to work around it, depending on what you have. If, if you don't have anything, then, you know, like a shared document, even like a Instagram page for the company or what, whatever it is. If you have a platform already like Slack, then you can build channels. And if you have like an unlimited, you know, budget, then you could do a lot of things. So it, it just... It really depends, but I guess what I'm trying to say, like there is always an opportunity to create social interaction among your employees. Yes. There's always opportunity from your employees to learn from each other. There's always opportunities for you to make your employees feel like they're valued. Whether you're doing it or not, that's you know, on, on the company and, and on, on the person running things. But there's nothing that you could there's not a situation where you could tell me like, I can't do that because X, Y, and C, because there's always going to be an opportunity for you to create that space for your employees to be social in every aspect of, of the word social. And I want to riff off of that because we had somebody in the community say like, my workplace won't let us do that kind of social interaction because the things that we're working on may become legal compliance issues, right? Like if somebody teaches somebody the wrong way to do something. And I was like, well, that's interesting because if, yes, that might not be the right place to implement social learning, but that doesn't have to be where your brain stops either because there's lots of things that happen at a company that aren't necessarily just a specific skill set. Like, I was like, wow, I'm sure people need to learn how to be leaders. I'm sure people need to learn how to do customer service, especially if it's a highly technical field, stereotyping a little bit here, but like communications isn't always necessarily the strong suit of highly technical people. And so I couldn't agree with you more, Osio. I think there's always an opportunity to help, you know, spread the knowledge that everybody has internally, to collect it, to share it, to recognize people who are being active about it. Like budget is not a reason not to do it. And legal compliance is really not a reason to just say we're not going to do anything social. Katie, we're going to jump to another one. Yeah, I think the next one I had was the jigsaw, which I, it's a little hard to explain, but I will try. So this is from something I found when I was teaching English. It's a way of structuring. I use it to structure, like I wanted students to read and talk about what they read. Um, so I think that this could work maybe for like onboarding. If you have a, you know, handbook stuff that you want people to learn, you know, in that group meeting or, um, maybe a new policy. I could see it working for that. But what you do is you basically take a reading or a set of readings that are related and you break people into groups. Each group is assigned one of those readings and they sort of be, they have time to become the expert in that content. And then the next phase of the activity, you mix everybody up so that the new groups have a representative from each of the original groups. So everyone's an expert they learn their piece, they come together and share their expertise from what, you know, part one. And then usually there's some, the way I've done it is you have a discussion guide or like questions. There's sort of a goal of finding, discussing, coming to some kind of insight about the content, you know, and of course in the workplace, we're thinking about performance and so like behavior change. So um, I could see that being an addition here of like, what would you do differently using this? But the goal then at the end is that everybody has become familiar with the material, um, has a plan for how they're going to put it into action, and that this was done in a way that they're not just sitting there, everybody's reading silently, or, um, you know, it really creates good conversation from, 
from my experience and what I've seen. So. I think jigsaw learning is so cool. But I remember we were reading Influence and I thought one of the things I had never known about it is that um, there are studies that claim that jigsaw learning can help break down racial segregation in schools. And so I thought that was so interesting. And so our regular learning structure, they say, reinforces the traditional power structures in that most likely somebody who's more socioeconomically advantaged, probably white, is going to be the one who's constantly recognized because they're the one who's always getting the right answer or, you know, the teacher's kind of patting them on the back. Everybody watches that. They compete for that spot, right, to be the, or they just give up and they kind of just sit in the back of the class and that's that. But jigsaw learning doesn't reinforce that because basically what you said, Katie, right, everybody becomes an expert. Everybody has a piece that they collaboratively need to provide to the group you start to see other people in your group as problem solvers not just people who are like taking in information um and then you know you, you sort of start to see that oh we can all help each other when we work together and so, there, like i said there was a study done on racial segregation in schools and people who perhaps had less flattering views of each other you know, because of racial divides came to see that like oh no that's that's not really it and they started to work together more and do things together more and so I think about like in a company where perhaps people don't know each other or things are contentious or just people are shy like what a cool opportunity to break down the little work clicks and the little boundaries we put up yeah this is like what this used to be one of my favorite activities when I was a teacher um, especially because I taught special education that you know they were integrated so um, you really saw the difference in in the levels of learning so this jigsaw created an opportunity for everybody to be at the same level and for everybody to be expert and for everybody to feel like they were contributing and for everybody to feel like without their part it wasn't whole right so like one part wasn't more important than the other and there's just so many things that you could do with it like with you could do jigsaw with scenarios or to find solutions like here is four different ways to approach the scenario immerse yourself on that four different ways then people come together and they're like here's the four different ways which is the best way to approach it kind of thing so it could be like used in many different not just with reading i think it could be used in a lot of different ways where people come together and share what they think or the knowledge that they have gathered okay I have another one, one that I love a lot, and that's mentorship within companies and organizations. I think that's a very important one. Um, I don't think that people a lot of the time think that that is, a, they wouldn't think of it as social learning, but I think it's a pretty important one to um, implement if you can implement it. I mean, it, not, it doesn't always have to be like someone that's like, that has a lot of power and then someone that's coming in new, like, I think that you can learn from everybody. I think that someone that's coming in new can also teach a, a different way to approach things to people. But it usually happens that it's someone that's more experienced with someone that has less experience. And um, again, I think that's a way, that's a great tool for um, onboarding. I think mentorship is a great onboarding social learning experience. Um, a lot of the times, and I have friends that like have gone into the company and they have no idea what they're doing. And there is not like a set. And I'm talking about like big name companies. 
they go in and it's kind of like figure it out as you go. Um, and then they go ask for help and the people feel a certain way about being interrupted in their days. So I think like a good way to set those people, the new people that are coming in for success is to create that mentorship program. Like if you have any questions, this is the person to go. Or even like a thing, like if you have technical questions, right, this is the person to go um, ask. Um, and I think uh, many companies lack that. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of anxiety, too, that comes with starting a new job or you know, walking into a new company, being the new person and having that mentor to talk through things and someone to check in with you and see how you're doing and see if you need any help and direct you to the right person or the right department or the right technology to do things. I think that goes a long way as someone that's like just walking in new um, with no experience. I completely agree with you. And, you know, I kind of take my experience here because it is it was a mentorship. I mean, with Nicole being my main mentor, but it was like all of you were in a way a mentor for me because I came in having no experience in the instructional design and not really knowing anything in the field. And I think after a semester of you know, really getting to work hands on and you know, having just asking questions and having that open conversation that you all had like this open door policy that really allowed me to like you know, grow and learn in different things. And I think, you know, the collaboration between all of us was really something that helped push me and getting to meet with a weekly meeting with Nicole once a week and just get that check in and be like, okay, this is what I need to do. This is like the structure. This is how we want this XYZ executed really helps you like fulfill the role. And not only that, but lets you know how to do it, but then exceed and go past with what you're supposed to do. So it's like getting that mentors, I think something that a lot of people lack. And I think in a way, internships for like students is something that's so important because it is that mentorship role. And I think a lot of companies should offer those opportunities for students because that's the best way to get somebody that you can basically take and mold into what you want in your company and what you want in your agency. And you basically mold them into that worker that is going to be your top worker at the end of the day and one of your you know most skilled because you got to mold it. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is that it is a product of you in that way by mentoring them. So. For me, that experience that I got was something that I take and I've looked back on and is like, wow, I'm a different person from when I started back in July to where I am now. And so that's something I'm grateful for and thankful for this opportunity. I think that's something that I, I think other people should realize is that it is an opportunity to grow your own agency that way. Also, I learned a lot. I mean, it just so happens that I think everybody here has been my intern at some point. Yeah. That was never the plan, just for the record. It just happened that way. All of you are so good, I couldn't let you go. But like, I learned from all of you every day. There's no way I could do any of this without you. I mean, Katie and I were on a brainstorming call yesterday talking about a project that she's not necessarily on. She might be. We don't, we don't know, you know if, if we run out of things to do, but... Um, she helped me think through some things and had some great ideas. Rocio has definitely helped me more than once. I mean, Diego, you give me great ideas all the time. Look at our amazing Yeti. Like he was the source of all of you talking to me and talking me through things. And so I think it's really important to mention that like mentorship isn't necessarily a one-way thing, yeah. even though in theory it is, it's not, it's a relationship. Yeah. And I think it's, it's changing because in in companies now you have this like employees that have been there for a while and technologies are changing and the world is changing and the way that um, the newer generations are coming into the workplace and how to work with those newer generations and what they want and what they need to be successful 
I think there's a lot to learn from those new people that are coming in, especially when it comes to technological advances and how to reach people and how to, you know, socially influence people that a lot of the older generation that they're usually the people that hold the power in in companies, right? Uh, Because they've been there for a certain amount of time or because they have more experience or whatever it is. There's also a lot to learn from those new employees that are coming in to, to your company and those interns that are coming in even fresh out of college that have all this knowledge that we don't have. I also want to say the one thing I think that gets skipped a lot here is mentors. If you're going to do a formal mentoring program, like you need to prepare them to be good mentors because I don't know if I've always been, or I don't know that's an innate quality, but I know working at the writing center for six years, definitely like we had a massive foundation in research on coaching and mentoring that was just part of how the director ran this the program it's not necessarily everything you know everyone everywhere gets that but like I, it made me better able to be a mentor you know I've had interns at my role before I started this company and so I just know how other people treated them and I'm like well that's that's not helpful <laughs> or like you you know there's no regular check-in or there's no um like goal alignment or goal setting or, you know, those sort of things. So I think it's really important that if you're listening to this and thinking about implementing mentoring and you're thinking about who would make good mentors, yes, there are some neat skills, but also like you might want to prepare people. You're going to make it a company thing. And I, I think something to point out about those instances of social learning um, is that it can't be forced. Social learning cannot be forced. It has something that happens organic. You have to set up the environment. You have to make sure that that people have the tools that they need in order to interact in those social learning um, instances, but you can't force it. You can't tell people, here's an article, everybody has to comment and provide their opinion on their article. You're gonna be a mentor because that's part of your role, right? And this is what happens a lot in, and this is not this is a side point, and sometimes in academia where like, the professor is a researcher, but part of their contract is that they have to teach. And then you end up with this, you know, professors that don't know how to teach. They don't know how to interact with students. They don't know how to create those moments for students to have social learning, you know, and it's just part of their job. It's just something that they have to do. They don't really care about it as long as they're getting their money for their research. And it happens a lot in big institutions and it happens a lot at jobs. It just you can't force people to interact with each other. If you're forcing people to interact with each other, then that's just not social. That's like a dictatorship in a way, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like you have to because you have to. And then these moments that could be great moments become like, oh God, now I have to go mentor this kid. Or, oh God, I have to go and, you know, I have to read this. I have to interrupt my day to to go do this. And that is the opposite of creating value and the opposite of creating a culture where people feel like they're valued and that their time matters. Yeah, I think a perfect analogy that I've always learned is a great player doesn't always make a great Mm -hmm. coach, but a great coach is one who can produce great players. And I think that's something that, you know, is those abilities that some people just have this special thing in them to be that coach and be that person. But I think from a business standpoint, you have to find, like we said last year, those champions mm-hmm. for change. And our last podcast, we mentioned those. And I think there are people within the agency that are going to be those champions for mentorship and those who can really create this culture that is going to really drive the business and drive 
these interns into being the best that they can possibly be. Just because you are the best worker doesn't honestly make you the best person to be the coach for a person who's coming in. You could be very much not a great person, but you know how to do the job. But those who may not be the best player, I'd say, but they can sure show somebody how to do it and execute it, that's what's going to help push the business further, I think. And that's what I think people have to realize, especially employer employers, is how do I find those people to lead those things? Yeah, this was a long podcast, man. I thought it was going to be 30 minutes and we just went into like little tangents about things. I feel like this could be easily a two hour long episode. Yeah, like, we still have like maybe like five more activities that we're probably not going to get to cover. And this is going to be like a part two for for next season. But I think there was a lot of information today. I think there was a lot of thought put into it. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for everybody to, to be here and to listen to us and to get this season two kicked off officially with this episode. So thank you so much for everyone providing their ideas and their favorite social learning activities. From employee-led classes to book clubs and the power of mentorship programs, we cover a spectrum of approaches to foster a culture of continuous learning. We talked about breaking the ice and making conferences and digital settings not just informative, but intimate. Because at the end of the day, it's those connections that make a difference. But let's not forget the heart of it all, creating that sense of value and belonging among employees. It's not just about strategies. It's about making the workplace a space where ideas flow freely and opinions matter. So lab mates, as we conclude this episode, let's remember what our speakers emphasize. Opportunities for social learning are everywhere. It's about creating that space and it's on the company and its leaders to make it a priority. And there you have it, lab mates, a deep dive into strategies and insights to promote social learning within a company. Now it's your turn. For your experiment, take a few minutes to reflect on the key takeaways from this episode. What strategies or insights resonated with you the most? Choose one specific area or opportunity within your work environment where social learning could be improved. It could be related to communication, collaboration, or knowledge sharing. Develop a quick action plan with three simple steps to enhance social learning in that chosen area. Share a brief snapshot of your action plan with the social learning lab community. You can find the full experiment brief in the show notes or in the Social Learning Lab community on Facebook. In the community, you can also share your stories, get feedback and insights from peers, and comment on others' ideas. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review, like, subscribe, or share so we can continue to build a supportive group of social learning enthusiasts. Until next time, keep making learning that matters.